All right, welcome to the Krug Show, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great night. It is February the 27th, 2024, 8.48 on the West Coast, 10.48 in the Central Time Zone, where our Vish Kumaran joins us. It's a, uh, a dual stream tonight on both of our channels. Hope everybody's having a great day. John Lynch spoke at the Combine earlier. We're brought to you by Pig and a Pickle, the best barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out in Emeryville and Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. till 8 p.m. Or until they run out, Pig and a Pickle. Check them out. We're also brought to you by Marin Autoglass, uh, Underdog Fantasy, uh, MarinAutoglass.com, Underdog Fantasy. Check that link in the description. Use the promo code KRUG, and they will match you up to your first $100. And then this month, we're brought to you by Sharp Corner Sports Cards and Collectibles. Call Anthony Catania at 831-521-5264, as well as ValleyHillRoofing.net, 209-481-6851. The links to all of our sponsors' websites are listed in the description. What's up, Vish? How are you, man? How's it going, Krug? How are you? Man, things are good. Um... Coaching my my fourteen year old's baseball team, uh, my my <clears throat> second son Benjamin is playing varsity baseball at Northgate. They've got a game tomorrow. I'm super excited to see him. He's a right handed pitcher and an outfielder. Um, I got my older son Kev. We just got back from Vegas. We were there for the Super Bowl. We're obviously working hard on the channel. A lot of good things going on, man. How, how have you been? Doing good, man. Can't complain. I've been busy at work. You want me to tell you something interesting? Yeah. I'll summarize Chicago weather today in a day for you, right? Yeah, please do. We have 70 degrees Fahrenheit weather today. I know, unheard of in the month of February, right? Like, beautiful day. Don't get to really experience any of it because I'm in the office, right? Step out. But guess what happens, right? You think 70 degrees, beautiful day. By the night, clouds come out. Tomorrow, it's going to be 25 degrees in the morning. <laughs> Tonight, it's been storming the entire night, and the temperature is just shooting down. That is Chicago weather for you. Oh, my gosh. How do you not get sick when it goes from 70 to 20 to... I mean, that's a 50-degree drop in 24 hours. I'm not even... You- I'm not even outdoors enough, man. That's that's the unfortunate part. Like it's so dark this time of year here that when you see sun out, like the worst thing is when I go into work and it's still dark and then I come out of work and it's dark again. Like that's the worst feeling. So I'll I'll take any sort of light, any sort of sun and I would like to be near uh, or I would like to be outside more, but I don't really feel it because I dress appropriate for the weather. You just got to check the temperature every day. That's the only thing. Yeah, red ice is wind chill, lake effect, bro. You should know that. Uh, lake Michigan. Yeah, I mean, first of all, my mom, my mom is from Chicago. Uh, she's no longer with us. I miss her greatly, but she she was from Chicago. Her entire family was from Chicago. I've spent a lot of time in Chicago. Um, and you know, I've been everywhere there. I've been on the lakefront, I've been to Wrigley, I've been to Comiskey, I've been to old Comiskey. Um, believe it or not, um, I've been to the museum of science and industry. I've been to Navy pier. I've been to second city. Have you seen the bean? The what? The bean. No. What's the bean? 
oh, it's probably the worst attraction I've ever seen. But people <laughs> always go to it when they come to Chicago and they're like, oh, I've seen the bean. The bean's pretty cool. And I'm like, okay. What is the bean? It's a bean. B-E-A-N? It's just literally, yeah, it's in the middle of the road. It's just this like bean. Okay. Haven't look been it up. Look bean. it up. Look it up. I can't really describe it to you. It's, it's, it's just a thing. It's a thing, but it's definitely something I guess you need to see. I, I think maybe I take it for granted because I've lived around the city my entire life and now I live in the city. Um, but perhaps maybe, yeah, red eye nails it. It's simply just a metal structure. I've been to Buckingham fountain. Have you been to Buckingham fountain? I, on the I haven't. I haven't. No, it's really nice. Um, what is your favorite thing? Go ahead. What's your favorite thing in Chicago? Like if, if you could say, Hey, the, my favorite thing to do in Chicago is what, in what month and what, what is it? What's the attraction? Yeah. So that's the thing, you know, the timing, our chemistry right there, the timing was off the charts. Cause I was just about to explain to you how I'm not really a like sightseer or a doer of like the many things to do in Chicago. Like if they come in, to my plans or there's something that requires me to go see one of these tourist attractions, I will go. But otherwise I'm not just naturally going to see anything. So I don't know that I have anything a time of the year that I look forward to. I I guess I kind of just look forward to what's happening next. Um, But I I will tell you something I'm looking forward to in that case that's happening next. I'm going to the uh, theater on March 10th. To not watch theater, though, I'm going and seeing Shane Gillis live, and I'm very excited about it. Nice. I know. Uh, comedian? Yes. The guy yeah. who opened on Saturday Night Live this weekend. Right. He was, like, kicked off Saturday Night Live, and then they yeah. hired him back. He brought him back, like yeah. Now, where are you going to see him? At, at, at Second City? Or where? Uh, I think it's at the... Don't quote me on this, because okay. I actually don't know where I'm seeing him. Yeah. Have I'll you ever been out. to have you ever been to dinner theater? No, I don't think so. Well, that's kind of a big thing out there as far as like, you know, the weather is so bad that, you know, there's dinner theater. So you can like go to like a dinner and like a play um, and it's all under one one roof. Um, I, last time I was there, I went to dinner theater and it was pretty good. It's pretty good. I, you know, I like a good play. Um, all right, let's let's jump to the Niners. They they uh, John Lynch spoke today in Indy, and probably you know it was weird last year. Vish he talked about Trey Lance, and everything blew up. Right. He said, "Man, Trey Lance has got to play," but that's kind of the issue because we got a team that's ready to win. And then Big Mouth Know It Alls like me ran with that and said, "Hey." the Niners are planning on committing to Purdy and trading Trey Lance. And then all of a sudden people were like, no, no, no. And then this whole thing blew up. That that was me and you. We did a show, I think Tuesday after the combine last year, like late, just like this. Exactly. This year, it just didn't have the same feeling. It almost didn't feel like Lynch was asking or answering questions from Bay area media people. It kind of felt more like a national deal and they barely asked him about the defensive coordinator they barely asked him about anything really um but the one thing that i thought was the headliner today was that you know brandon Ayuk, and they asked about brandon Ayuk, and he said um 
you know, they said, Hey man, the, the, the cap has gone up. Does it make it easier for you to bring back Brandon Ayuk? And he's like, he first makes the point and he says, well, it went up for everybody. So in other words, um, it's all relative, but then he kind of said, well, you know, we think very highly of Brandon Ayuk. He's a warrior. He's a guy that we want to keep around here for a long time. So I don't know if there's any other way to take that other than a positive that it really sounds like the 49ers are going to bring back Brandon Ayuk, which kind of flies in the face of some of the rumors and whispering out there that maybe um, Ayuk is not happy, that maybe they would trade him. Um, a lot of the whispering or a lot, not even whispering, a lot of the talk out of Ayuk's camp seems to be almost like, like, you know, like he's on his way out of town. Uh, they don't have to redo his deal at all this year, technically, but what do you, th- what was your takeaway on Ayuk? Do you think Ayuk is a, is a niner long-term? Are they going to commit $50 million to two wide receivers? Or did you um, think today was not significant as far as, uh, Ayuk's future and and nothing's changed or how do you see Ayuk after Lynch spoke today? So I I do see Ayuk remaining on the 49ers long term. I, I feel like that's an investment that they have to make. I mean, this was a player they traded up to get in the first round. He wasn't. It wasn't just that they took him in the first round. They traded up and gave up future assets to get him. He was a guy they've believed in him. Now he's become a player worthy of a second contract, and he's the one guy on their offense that you can look at other than the quarterback that's young and ascending, and he has great chemistry with the quarterback, probably the best chemistry of all the weapons. So I don't think they move him for all those reasons. Now, I don't think today's comments also changed anything on where Brandon Ayuk and the 49ers stand. I feel like a lot of the comments from Ayuk's camp and a lot of the things people are seeing from Ayuk are blown a little bit out of proportion because I think that's just negotiation. Ayuk, I think, is doing a very good job of making it clear that he wants to be in San Francisco, but he's not going to take a pay cut. He's going to get paid what Brandon Ayuk feels like he deserves to be paid. And the 49ers are doing a good job making it clear that they want to bring him back, but they understand that in a cap sport, you can't bring back everybody at the price they want. They have to go through that process. Now we enter the most difficult part, which is the negotiation. And oftentimes for the 49ers, negotiation is like the Dark Knight movie, right? Like the night's most often darkest before uh, dawn. That, that's the line, right? Is that is that not the line that Harvey that line. says at the end? Right. Yes. That's what's about to happen. This negotiation is about to get ugly. And then probably somewhere in July or August, we find out that they get the contract done. It's just status quo for the 49ers. It's how things go. The Debo negotiation got gross. The um, uh, Fred Warner, or not, the Fred Warner one was actually clean, but the Nick Bosa one got somewhat contentious. The George Kittle one was so contentious, they didn't talk for two months. That's just how things are going to go. That's my prediction. How do you feel about the 49ers and Brandon Ayuk? Well, I mean, I would like to see them keep him, but um, but I, it just seems like an awful lot of money committed to wide receivers, does it not? I mean, I don't know. Um, it, it just seems like it's not necessarily the smartest thing but trading him i don't think would be smart either um in an ideal world i i would i would i think i'd like to have a you know be able to get more for debo samuel and at least consider trading debo but i don't think that's in the cards either yeah so i I think they're just gonna bite the bullet 
I so I think we're both agreeing that Debo is pretty untradeable, especially this year's because just because there's more value for the 49ers keeping him than eating the cap hit and moving Debo. Like I know people are really upset about Debo in the Super Bowl on one hamstring, but Debo was fine versus the Lions the week before. He had a pretty good game. And then they really missed him versus Green Bay, right? Did we not talk just a month ago about how much the 49ers missed Debo Samuel in that game and how much him getting hurt affected their entire offense? So Debo's still pretty good. He's going to come back. But I, I think one thing we've learned, and I, I personally learned this um, for by being wrong. I learned this by being wrong about Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Panay Sewell, that entire situation. Having an X receiver that you can put in the backside of any sort of formation that can win against man coverage consistently is arguably the most valuable non-quarterback asset in on offense in the NFL right now, right? Like, look at what Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase has done for him. Look at what Tyreek Hill has done for Tua. Look at what Stephon Diggs did for Josh Allen, right? Other than Mahomes, all these guys have needed that one guy that can win on the backside of these um, uh, three-by-one formations and win one-on-one as an X receiver on the backside. Brandon Ayuk is that guy for the 49ers. We saw them put him on the backside and run some more isolation routes to get him in space and get him opportunities this year. More than ever, they went to him. This was something that we predicted coming into the season and we thought was going to happen, and it did happen. I think his role within the offense is only growing and ascending, and I think their need for him is only growing and ascending. I, 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 don't, see a, I don't see a place where they move him. And I understand what you're saying about the $50 million, but it's really just the one year. And if you can backload Brandon Ayuk's deal, you could probably unload Debo and maybe even unload another guy on this offense by the time Ayuk's deal is really affecting you. And then Ayuk compared to Debo, compared to Kittle, is one of these guys who you do expect his game to age. He wins on technique and skill rather than pure physical ability and explosiveness and physicality. You think that he could play longer and later into his career compared to those guys. So maybe you give him a four or five year extension instead of a two to three year one like you gave Debo, for example. I I, I just think that the one thing that is going to have to happen is that there's going to have to be some some group of players is going to have they're going to have to move off of some of their high price players and i think the guy that i would try to move off of is Kyle Hughescheck i think that's the no brainer right there i mean he, he you know he gets paid a ton to what go in motion and he's not a great short yardage fullback he's 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 nice but i would I you know I don't I don't see a burgeoning market for him. I think they're paying him huge money consist you know that that he that other teams would not pay him. I I'd probably go to him and say Kyle, I'd like a huge pay cut or we're going to go in a different direction. That would be the that's where my bloodletting would start is with Hughescheck. I'm 100% with you. I've been there for two years. I didn't think he should have been brought back in 2021. And here's why. It's not that he isn't an excellent player. Individually, Kyle Juszczyk is very good. He's a good blocker. He's very smart. He's a good route runner. He has excellent hands. He's underrated after the catch. Like, if he was utilized more, he could provide a greater impact. It almost feels like he's not utilized enough. The problem is the 49ers aren't exactly 100% of the time a 21 personnel team. He ends up adding up to play about 50% of the snaps every year. And Juwan Jennings, you know, they play 11 personnel. He plays around the other 40, 50% of the snaps. It's somewhere near there. So they end up playing a near percentage of snaps. I think that's why it's it doesn't make that much sense, excuse me, to keep him. 
And I don't buy that the fullback is this most important thing for the 49ers offense. I think he was a player whose skill set was important and they used it to build their scheme. I think he was one of their initial signings because he was such a high character and versatile guy. He was an easy guy to sell the Harvard education. They signed him early in their regime. He was a great guy to build culture and build their regime around. I think he has satisfied all of that. He's gone above and beyond in terms of being their first big signing in free agency, especially because their other big signing, Malcolm Smith, turned out to be a little bit of a biscuit for them in 2017. And now I, I don't see the value for him. I The other offenses with Shanahan, did we ever talk about – I mean, I guess Vonta Leach made a Pro Bowl in Houston, but nobody ever talked about the fullback in Cleveland. Nobody ever talked about the fullback in Atlanta, right? We talked about Julio Jones. We talked about Andre Johnson, Dwayne Brown, Joe Thomas, Jake Matthews. So I think this idea that the fullback is the most important thing is a little bit overblown trying to sell a free agent that they paid a lot of money to initially – um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think it's time to move on from him. I also think Krug, they need a little bit of a culture change. And I don't mean this in terms of they need to change their culture. I mean this in terms of he's been here since 2017. He had to experience 2019, 2021, 2022, 2023. He's been there for all the heartbreak. Get some fresh energy, fresh blood, somebody who doesn't have all the scars that they've had to suffer the last few years. You can't get rid of everybody, but you can have a little bit of fresh culture and fresh leadership. And I think this is the first guy that needs to make way for that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds cold, but I mean, I'll look at it this way. I think they need to do two things with that fullback spot. Get a whole lot cheaper and a whole lot more dynamic because you know, I don't think you, it's kind of like in the NBA where you can't, you've got to have at least four shooters on the floor. I think if you're going to have five eligibles, they all have to be dynamic. They can't be, you can't have a slowish weapon out there, either a blocker at tight end or a blocker at fullback. The guy that's super intriguing to me in this draft is the Louisville fullback running back one back. I'm not sure what he is. His name's Isaac Garendo and he's, he runs in the four threes. And he's 228 pounds. Um, and to me, I'd like to see the Niners go in that direction. Get rid of the expensive fullback and then put a fullback on the field that is dynamic, that you have to cover, that runs 4-3, you know, that that really threatens the, the edges of a defense. Um, and he can run with power between the tackles. But, man, if this guy gets loose on the second level, he could take it the distance. And it's a rare player because there aren't a lot of guys who run 4'3", who are 220 pounds. But this kid out of Louisville, Garendo, fits that bill. That's what I would try to do at fullback is move on from, you know, or not necessarily move on from Juszczyk, but definitely cut his salary um, and essentially move on from him because I don't think he'll be in favor of that. Um, but that's one guy. The other guy that I'd be in favor of moving on from is Jake Brendel. You know, I saw DJ Reader just push him around, and I like Jake, good dude, smart guy, street free agent, but they gave him way too much money. I mean, $5 million for They're a street free though. agent. Uh, I, I, that's, a, that's a contract I would like to get out from underneath. That's a guy I would like to say goodbye to. Um, and, then, and then I think... Who do you get, though? Who do you get? As far as Jake Brendel, as far as a center, um, mm -hmm. I, there's centers in the draft I really, really like. But then I also like some of the guys on there. I, I think Colton McKivitz, his best position is center. And, and I actually kind of think that Nick Zakel and Ben Barch might be decent centers as well.
and I would I would try to fill center with maybe a draft pick, Zakel, Barch, and McKivitz, and try to get out from Brendel. Zakel's last free season though couldn't have you convinced that you could no, go into a right. yeah. I I agree with you that Brendel isn't an ideal option. There's there's no doubt about that. So I'm on the same page with you. I think the reason he got the contract that he got and the reason the Niners are kind of stuck is they have a veteran team, right? Krug, you know what it is when you draft an offensive lineman. It's a long development arc for those guys because they go from one or two running plays in whatever college they come from, one or two protections. They're not always going up against the most elite of the elite pass rushers. There's only one or two games they really face an NFL rusher with those NFL traits. And now you come to the NFL, it's a little bit of a culture shock. A lot of them have to spend a year changing their bodies. Even the best ones, like Panay Sewell even had his ups and downs as a rookie. That's just what happens to offensive linemen. So you don't know that you can really trust a rookie center, uh, especially one that you're going to take in the middle rounds to come in and play right away. And then look at Brendel, right? Probably a league average center. He's not, I would call him a below average player to an average player somewhere in that range, right? But there's not that many great centers in the NFL. You're kind of stuck in the between a rock and a hard place looking for offensive linemen, especially if you're not drafting them very high in the draft. So I'm with you in terms of, hey, I would love to get upgraded center. I just don't know that there's really a viable option. Maybe I we go into the draft and maybe I start looking at centers. I haven't really started looking at the draft. And, you know, you come to a conclusion that you find a guy that's just totally worth it. That's, you know, Travis Frederick or Tyler Linderbaum that you can take at 31 and that's your new starting center or maybe there's a guy in the second or third round that's that kind of guy but i i don't know about that and therefore it's tough for me to look at jake brendel and offer anything better than him even though he's not the world's greatest option at center um there are other spots as well i mean um like i i would look around when i'm looking at their depth chart i'm thinking okay where could i cut money um i could cut money with ray ray mcleod I don't need Ray Ray as much as I like Ray Ray. I don't, I don't need Ray Ray. Mm -hmm. I can cut money with that third quarterback. I don't need Sam Darnold at $5 million. I think right. Brandon Allen and a rookie can fill in uh, 100% fine with you there. hundred yeah. percent with you. I don't need, I don't need Randy Gregory or chase young or Kevin Givens or Sebastian Joseph day. I feel like I can fill in with younger players. I don't need Oren Burks. I don't need Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. I don't need Tayshawn Gibson. Um, I don't need Logan Ryan. I feel like I can I can fill those spots with younger players and not lose any ground there. I don't know that there's a big bloodletting there, but that's where I would start. Yeah, I, I'm with you. But at the same time, I do think those players need to be replaced. And that's where I brought this up on your yeah. show, I think, a couple weeks ago. And I'm bringing it up again, Krug. I think people are going to be shocked, but I think a month from now, the conversation is going to be very defensive line heavy with the 49ers. They built this team from 2017 on with defensive line in mind, building the deepest, nastiest defensive line in the NFL. I think last year was the first year in a little while that we had a completely underperforming defensive lining. I understand that they played well in the Super Bowl, but I think they missed, like you said from the beginning, they missed quality depth and quality signings that they had, like the Samson Mebukams, the Charles Amenehues, the Arden Keys, those type of high-effort players who still were playing for their second contract, um, I, I think that they're going to have to go back and rebuild the depth of this defensive line, especially given that we look at Bosa, right? That's superstar. I think Armstead kind of stays on. His contract 
makes him kind of a stuck piece. He's a good player, though he's been getting hurt the last couple of years. Javon Hargrave, let's say he was banged up this year and maybe you get full money's worth next year. You didn't get that this year. After that, like, do you know that you can rely on Drake Jackson and look at him as a starter? I don't think you no. could say that. Robert Beal had a couple of nice rushes in the Super Bowl, but I don't know that anybody knew he was wearing 51 before he stepped on the field for the Super Bowl. And if you didn't look it up during the game, you're lying to me right now because I'm sure that you saw who the hell is 51 playing for the 49ers. I've seen this team the entire year. I haven't seen 51 on the field. So that's kind of the situation they're at. So I think we're going to be looking at defensive linemen. I think they got to build the depth up again. I think they need to draft multiple defensive linemen again. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question. You know, it's so funny, too, because um, the 49ers badly need a right tackle, right? Mm -hmm. And yet every single time, and I'm, I've made jokes about this, that they'll talk right tackle and they'll acknowledge all throughout the year they need a right tackle. And then we get into draft season, and by the time it gets to draft day, their offensive tackle becomes a defensive tackle. Mm -hmm. And their offensive line uh, need gets you know, sandwich behind their defensive line need. And I, the more I look at it again now, I mean, I was doing a mock draft the other day and I went through my mock draft and I had the 49ers going D line, like three picks in a row, you know, and then going offensive line. Now I like some of the offensive linemen a little bit further back you know, if, if they picked in the top 15, you know, you know maybe, what the issue is though, Krug, you know what the issue that? is? I'll tell you what the issue is, because when you're talking about a value driven team like the 49ers, the way offensive linemen are coming into the NFL and the way defensive linemen are coming into the NFL, you're always going to feel like you're going to find a defensive lineman that's way better than where you are at the draft because there's so many of them and they're going based on different teams needs. And you're always going to feel like that offensive lineman that you're taking, you're reaching at that spot because everybody starts reaching for the offensive lineman because there's not that many good ones in the draft. And when you're talking about a team like the 49ers that's so obsessed with the paper value, which they are, even with the draft, right? They love trading down a pick to draft Solomon Thomas and getting extra assets from Mitchell Trubisky and all of that. Well, Solomon Thomas can't play either. You didn't really win that trade but you kind of won that trade because Mitchell Trubisky can't really play. So for a team that's obsessed with that, I think that's why they always end up at the defensive lineman. Because when you look at your draft board, that offensive lineman always feels like, damn, we're reaching for this guy at this spot. Whereas the defensive lineman, like Drake Jackson, right? They said they couldn't believe he was there at 64. Well, like seven defensive linemen went before Drake Jackson at 64. No, it's true. And it's kind of reminds me of playing fantasy football. It's like, you know, if you don't have a high pick, but you want to get a running back and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, well, wait a second. Do I want the seventh best running back? I mean, give you any I'm, I'm just looking at the offensive tackles in the draft. I'd love to have Joe Alt or the Penn State kid Fashanu. Um, I would love to have J.C. Latham or Taliesi Fuaga. Uh, Coach is really hot to trot on Amarius Mims. I'd love to have him. Jesse's really hot to trot on Jordan Morgan. I wouldn't mind having Jordan Morgan. Um, I can't, I talked to Trent Williams about Tyler Guyton because he's an Oklahoma kid, and obviously Trent went there. And Trent loves Tyler Guyton, and he was knew all about him. Um, and yet, I'm looking at at a, you know the master big board, and those guys are all gone by pick 28, and the Niners pick th pick 31. So, do you want the eighth best offensive tackle, Kingsley Sumatea, who I do love? 
Do you want Patrick Paul? Do you want the kid from Yale? Do you want Blake Fisher from Notre Dame? I mean, it, it, those are the guys that are projected to go, let's say, outside of the top 30, but inside the top, let's say, 115 picks. So it's like if you're going to go offensive tackle in round one, you may have to reach for one of those guys. I, I'm looking at this big board, and I've studied the offensive tackles a little bit this year because I kind of knew the Niners were going in this direction. I love Javon Foster from Missouri. He's listed at pick number 122. So, I mean, that's a fourth-round pick uh, or late third. Christian Jones from Texas looked good in the Senior Bowl. He's pick 146. Um, I really love him. I think he's terrific. But, you know, that's a third, late third, fourth-round pick. Ladarius Henderson from Michigan. Uh, who played for Harbaugh, wore 73 for the Wolverines. Um, you know, Arizona State transfer. Um, he's pick 150. Julian Pearl from Illinois, really like him. He's pick 165. And then down the list, I really love Garrett Greenfield from South Dakota State. He's picked 244. Uh, Caden Wallace from Penn State, pick 276. So I'm just saying. But, but realistically, Krug, if we're talking about a starting right tackle for the 49ers, we're probably talking about a guy you're taking in the top 40 picks, right? You're not, you're, you're, you're not expecting if, if you're, if you're, if you get a guy that starts, especially at right tackle from day one, outside of the top 50 picks, you got to feel like you robbed a bank, right? Like, yeah, ideally before that, that, that doesn't make sense. And that's where like, for example, at this time last year, think about, did you look at Anton Harrison, right? Anton Harrison went 27. Did you look at Anton Harrison? Oklahoma tackle, exactly. Now, Anton Harrison ended up testing through the process and ended has first-round traits, right? Trent Baalke, I think, took him. He's 20 years old, and he took Anthony Davis, similar in terms of just traits and 20-year-old from Rutgers in the top 15. So it's a Trent Baalke pick. But did you look at Anton Harrison and think, for sure, God damn it, that's a first-round tackle at this point last year? Probably not. You could probably convince yourself as you go through the process and you realize he's the last tackle on the board, and he's talented enough to fill the threshold of becoming a starting tackle. But I think that's the tough situation with that position, especially if you're drafting 31. Because if you're like, for example, when Kyle Shanahan picked Trent Williams, if you're pick four, right, and the three Oklahoma guys go before him, or the two Oklahoma guys ensue, and you're left with the fourth generation, the third generational guy in the draft, right, McCoy, Sue, it was or it was Bradford, Sue, McCoy, then Trent Williams. It's easy to pick the tackle. Like that's the easiest pick in the world. And that guy has every trait. When you're stuck trying to get a guy at 31, it becomes really, really difficult. Maybe you pull a Joe Staley off, but it, it's you're most likely reaching for a player that you're not a hundred percent looking at as a first round pick, but he's the next best tackle available. But that's what happened to the Niners with McGlinchey, right? I think all things considered, if you stack up the 2018 draft, nobody would look at Mike McGlinchey as the ninth best player in that draft, even before that draft. Even people were high on Mike McGlinchey. And I thought Mike McGlinchey was a good player at Notre Dame, but nobody thought of him as the ninth best player in the draft. No. When you realize only him and Colton Miller are probably the two eligible tackles that can go in the first round, and you realize, like, holy crap, like, if you don't take tackle here and you try to get a tackle elsewhere, all of a sudden at the ninth overall pick, Mike McGlinchey becomes great value. And I think that's what ha that's what happens with the offensive tackle position. And honestly, Krug, that's why I'm very skeptical about them addressing it. I think a lot of fans are going to be upset with the way the offensive line gets addressed this offseason. I think in years past, we've we've talked about the corner position with the 49ers and then been shocked when they don't draft a corner. 
I think the offensive line position has done the same thing in years past, and I think it's going to do it again because I think they're going to look at their team and they're going to look at what's available and what's possible for them to get, and they're going to look at it and think it's not much of an upgrade. No, I know. I mean, like it makes me wonder, should maybe they go out of, go after like Trent Brown, you right. know, um, and, and try to do it. Him. They traded him. Uh, but he, in a lot of ways, might be exactly what they need. I'm just looking, just, you know, theoretically, let's just say mm-hmm. um, the, the board falls the way I've kind of laid it out there. And you're looking at, you know, um, the kid from Yale or, you know, who's, who's didn't even play this year. I mean, he's been hurt all year. He's got a quad tear and he, I don't think he's going to work out in Indy. You know, a lot of people view him as kind of a, a little bit of a projection. Like he might be great in three years, but he also might not be anything. Would you rather go with kind of the highest rated offensive tackle or you're going to be staring your right down, you know, it, the way the draft looks from all the mocks that I've looked at and I've looked at several, you're going to be staring at Darius Robinson from Missouri who won the practice player of the week award at in Mobile, 6'5", 286 pound defensive end. And that's a little bigger than your typical Niner defensive end. But if you watch Robinson, he's freaky. Then there's Chris Jenkins from Michigan, Michael Hall from Ohio State. I mean, all three of those guys are kind of right there, end of the first round, anywhere mid to the mid-second round. I like Rook Aurora Aurora from Clemson. He's a tackle. I guess the question is this, Vish. If you were going to go D-line over O-line, what kind of D-lineman do you want? Because you have Hargrave. You have Armstead, you have Bosa. Are you looking for an edge rusher? Are you looking for a defensive end? Are you looking for an impact tackle because Armstead's old and Hargrave, quite frankly, wasn't all that great this year? Um, you know, that that's the other question because I don't know that I see, like if I just go to the edge rush class and say, okay, take a look at the edge rushers, Dallas Turner's going high. Jared Verse from Florida State's going in round one. Yeah, Lock two yeah. from UCLA top 20 pick. And then when you get down to that next group, Braylon Trice from Washington, eh. Chop Robinson from Penn State is a workout freak, but freak. I don't love him. I don't I don't love Chop. Braswell I do like from out Alabama. Of Penn State rushing the passer every year, isn't there? I mean, I kind of like the other guy, Adisa Isaac. Um, you know, he's he's the redshirt junior who's 6'5", 250. Chop Robinson, though, according to the people and what I've been reading and, and about him, he is, you know, like working out and doing crazy stuff in that, like this week, later this week in Indy, we're going to be talking about Chop Robinson because of the workout that he's about to put on the put on the deal. But and then there's smaller you think guys. He outworks like, out. I haven't watched enough of him, but let me just ask you this. Do you think he outworks out of Jason Owe or Odafe Owe from Penn maybe. State? Maybe. I mean, it's sound it you think from, um, yeah. It's sounding like he is going to. But I, I kind of like Brandon uh Chris Braswell from Bama. I'll tell you the guy whose film I love is Jonah Ellis from Utah, who's, you know, but he's 245 pounds. He's 6'2, 245. Is that too small for a 49er defensive end? My favorite defensive ends in this draft that that are rushers would be probably Jonah Ellis, and I kind of like Muhammad Kamara from Colorado State. But Muhammad Kamara is 6'1", 250 pounds. You know, I mean, I like some other guys later, Javon Solomon, Yabioki Anoma, 
uh, Miles Cole from Texas Tech. I mean, there's other guys that I like further down the down the list that will be Sundiata Anderson from Grambling. I really like. Um, there's there's some guys who are later. Richard Jubinor from Troy late. All right, but all I don't right, know right, if chill, I love chill, these okay. guys. Yeah, I don't know if I is, love any is, of them. You know what I mean? This is this is like, hey, you I, I tell you, Krug, look, I, I didn't do the homework, okay? Take it on easy before <laughs> I come to math class. And well, here no, you I'm are not, asking yeah. me the area under the curb uh, for a spear. You're asking me the integral. I don't well, even no, no, remember no, any of no, this stuff. I know, I know. And I and, and it's and I know you haven't done your homework on these guys, but I guess just theoretically, would you rather take if you're gonna go D line over O line, does it have to be an edge? Or could it be a tackle? Could, I, look, could you be happy taking a tackle at 31, Vish? Like a Maybe defensive tackle. A defensive tackle instead of an offensive lineman. And let's just say, forget guard, an offensive tackle. It's it's offensive tackle, defensive end, defensive tackle. I think that's the three positions. Maybe corner, but I really think those three are going to be what they're kind of picking from. And I think most people say, go get the offensive tackle. But I, I would say go get the best player. And I love that I Lynch said today, Lynch said basically, hey, we want great players. So that kind of like, because he was asked, best player available or position of need? And he said, guys that fit our culture, but we want great players. Yeah, I agree. So I think you nailed exactly what I agree with. I think all three of those positions are very addressable and are very big needs. I think the offensive tackle is being talked about the most. But I think the other two positions are every bit as big needs for the 49ers. Um, I'm with you in terms of what you said also in terms of the best player available. I think that's who they should take between the position. I don't think they should be stuck on the possession position. Again, I'm late on the draft. I'm going to watch the combine this week. I'm going to enjoy that. And then I'll start getting into the draft. And then maybe we can have some more player-to-player conversations. But right now, if you ask me, and said, okay, why would I go with the offensive tackle of the three positions? It's because they got to look at the offensive tackle and say that guy has starting traits. It can't just be a guy that you think that can be start. It has to be a guy that, hey, when we put on the workout, and I, I don't mean this to say, oh, he kills the combine. I'm talking about when you look at his physical, tangible traits, you look at that guy and say he can be a starting right tackle, and possibly because we're investing a first-round pick with him, he has the ability to become our left tackle of the future. I'm not saying you have to put that pressure on him, but you need, like, Krug, you know the traits that you need to have to be a starting left tackle in the NFL. There's a reason all those guys get drafted in the top 15 picks, right? It's tough to find big guys that move like that, that can also anchor like that. It's, it's, it's a very rare combination. In terms of defensive tackle, I think they need to get younger at the position. I don't think they need just depth because I'm pretty unhappy with the two 30-plus-year-old duo of Armstead and Hargrave. I'm unhappy because I feel like Armstead is at a point where his body is starting to wear out. He's older. I think he's getting injured more just because he's played a lot of football, and he's still a really good player. I think they're over-relying on him right now, and I think that's an issue. And then Hargrave, maybe he was hurt this year. It's tough for me to know, but he also was not very good for a large portion of this year. From the beginning of this year, especially their three-week losing stretch, he struggled. I don't know how much you can really rely on him, especially when you talk about a guy getting paid and then he regressed. It's tough for me to imagine him bouncing back if I'm being realistic. I, I, I would hope he does, but I don't know if you can expect it. So I think a defensive tackle, whether it's a bigger guy who can really, you know, get in the gaps and stop the run or even an interior pass rusher, I think both would be welcome.
because I'm not 100% sure of the 49ers situation there. And then finally, edge player, don't they always need a guy on the other side of Nick Bosa? Wasn't Drake Jackson supposed to be that? Are we really sure if he can be that? That makes that a need again. If you can find a guy at 31 that's got those kinds of traits like D Ford, this is around the realm where he went in his draft. Now, he had a knee issue that really pushed him down the boards when he was coming out. But this is example, just an example of what I'm saying. A high traits pass rusher, a guy with that elite bend, that elite burst, something you don't really find outside of the first round. If you can find that, I'd say go get it. So it would come down to the best player. But I think all three possessions, positions, excuse me, even though one's only being talked about, I think all three positions are actually very important for this team. And I think those yeah. are the three positions that are going to make or break how good they are next year because that's where they need to replenish talent. No question. I agree literally with everything you just said there. Um, is there, give me, the Niners have like 20 free agents. Give me one on offense, one on defense that you want back because I don't want hardly any of these guys back. I really don't. I'm looking at it and I'm, especially on defense, Gregory, Givens, Chase Young, Burks, Flanagan Fowles, Joseph Day, Kinlaw, Logan Ryan, Tayshawn Gibson. I guess I would probably say Kinlaw of the group, but um, I'm okay with literally the, I'm, I'm literally okay. I looked at every one of their free agents. I would totally be fine if every single 49er free agent left. Okay, I'll give you one for both. Okay. I have literally only one player for both. The offensive answer is a cop-out, okay? I, I'm He's a restricted free agent, so he's kind of really going nowhere even though he's technically a free agent. Because they cut him and put him on the practice squad initially, they have Juwan Jennings for one more year. That's a no-brainer. Everybody's bringing him back. I'm not blowing anybody's mind with that answer. Like that, somebody who's he's, moderately he's restricted. Watched, right? Yeah, somebody who's moderately watched the 49ers, they're going to put a second-round tender on him. They're going to be able to bring him back for one more year. It's kind of the Kendrick Bourne situation all over again. Defense, I'm going to bring back Cleland Furl. He's what they okay. need. I He was a guy I hated on. I was wrong. He was a good signing. He brings veteran presence. He's a good locker room fit. He plays with high effort, which they need. He plays his downs. He does his job. He's a good edge setter. He plays the run well. He's not a great pass rusher, but he's a high-effort player. That's who I would bring. He's a good rotation piece. You could probably bring him back for a pretty marginal price similar to last year. Besides that, I got nothing for you, Krug. I'm with you. I look at the rest of the free agency, and I say, let them walk. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Jennings is restricted, so he can't walk. I right. would say if I had one offensive guy, it'd probably be Brandon Allen and one defensive guy. I agree with you. I'd go with Cleveland Farrell because Farrell did – you know, we all kind of were critical of Farrell, but Farrell really did what he was advertised to do. Um, he plays hard. He's he got a motor. Better. Plays the run. Yeah, he he can step it up early in halves and early in games and and get it dialed up. He's a tough guy. Uh, he's a leader in the room. He's with smart eyes. That was an underrated thing about him. He told me the greatest answer of the year when I was asking him about, you know, being worried about, uh, I forget it was the Eagles or something like that, their offensive line. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, Hey man, if you're afraid, go get a dog, <laughs> <laughs> which is just an awesome answer. Um, so Cleveland Farrell, I would be, would be my guy. And, and Brandon Allen would be my, my guy on, uh, on offense. Um, DC, you know, we're, we're 43 minutes in, we're only going for an hour tonight. What, what's your thought on the defensive coordinator is, is there, 
they've interviewed the, the news that we've gotten is they've interviewed Brandon Staley. Uh, Chase Sr. put out a tweet today saying if they go internally, it might be Nick Sorensen. Um, they're also talking about Daniel Bullock's. I don't believe Sorensen has ever been a coordinator before. So, and I don't think Bullock's has either. And to me, that that's shocking that they could run off Steve Wilkes and go with a first time defensive coordinator. I just, I don't think, I can't, if Shanahan doesn't want to be involved in the defensive meeting room at all, how do you go to a guy who's never done it before? I'll give you a different take on it because I think Steve Wilkes's issue wasn't necessarily the fact that he was a good or bad coordinator. I think the issue was he just didn't mesh. And I, I think where people missed on the meshing is they only looked at him with Shanahan and they didn't listen to the fact that Fred Warner and Nick Bosa told us for 17 straight weeks that they didn't believe in their coordinator, right? Fred Warner, why is the defense not playing well? It's a scheme thing. Hey, Nick Bosa, why did you give that up? Oh, we weren't prepared for that. They found it so easy to throw him under the bus, right? So it just was not a fit. Now, in terms of who they need to hire crew, I'd ask you, what is the job of the 49ers defensive coordinator, right? Conventionally, if you were to hire, like, for example, let's say you were running a franchise and you hired me as the defensive coordinator, you would bring me in. I would hire my defensive back coach. I would hire my linebackers coach. I would hire my defensive lines coach. I would bring them all in. I would implement my scheme. So you would need me by the combine, right? Because you would know what kind of corners are we scouting? Because you would need corners to fit my scheme. What kind of linebackers are we scouting? The 49ers defensive coordinator isn't participating in that. He gets Johnny Holland as his linebackers coach. His secondary coach is Daniel Bullocks. His uh, defensive line coach is Chris Kacarek. He's going to, his job is basically to take their scheme, which as existent is built around their two best players, Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. They don't want to change it because it's the best way to use Nick Bosa. It's the best way to use Fred Warner. So they don't want to change it. They want to keep their front. His job is to basically ensure one, that he's able to communicate with Shanahan and their best players, something Steve Wilkes, I guess, did not do effectively. That's why that relationship wasn't there. And then two, He's also just executing their game plan. But even within that execution of the game plan, he's implementing a scheme that already exists. He just needs to call the right plays at the right time. So in order to find a guy that fits all of that, I think it's nice that they're actually going through a well-thought-out and researched process. I think they rushed it with Steve Wilkes. I don't think they understood how difficult it would be to implement a guy when you already have all of this existing infrastructure and you're really asking him only to do one thing as a defensive coordinator, which is call the plays. I think that I, if it's internal, it's fine. And maybe they're giving an opportunity for a guy to emerge as the leader to ultimately call the plays. But I think people are missing the key because the scheme already exists and the game planning already is going to be built around the scheme. It's not like they're going to come in and change the coverages drastically. It comes down to the fact that can that guy effectively communicate with Shanahan and their best players? Because I think that's where Steve Wilkes fell short with this defense. Because, again, Bosa, Fred Warner, how many weeks were you in the press room where they were like, scheme issue, we're not being coached this, or we're not prepared for this? Yeah, I mean, and and yet we're getting like glimpses and, and snapshots of all of this. It's really hard to put these snapshots together over the course of several months and be like, well, the issue is this. Um, I'll say this though. I hated what I saw in the NFC championship game about the tempo that they played at. I thought that was just reprehensible. Um, and I don't know if that's on Wilkes, if it's on Kosherik, if it's on the players, I didn't like seeing that. 
um, it was shocking. It was shocking to see. And I remember when I talked to Steve Young before the Super Bowl, he's like, I, he was equally shocked. He's like, I can't believe that You've we were You've been around the NFL this. so long, right? When Wilkes called them out publicly the week before the Super Bowl, the writing was on the wall, right? He, yeah. You could see that he felt some kind of pressure. How many defensive coordinators say their defense played without effort the week before the Super Bowl? Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. It was shocking to see. Um, what do you think of Brandon Staley? Okay, here's does my that issue name with excite Staley. you, or did you, does that move you in any way, shape, or form? Okay, the front issues aside, okay, I I would prefer that they get a guy with the four man front. I don't think Joey Bosa really liked when they switched the front on him. I don't think it suited his game. So let's take the front issues aside. I think Brandon Staley was a creative defensive coordinator his one year with the Rams, right? He had Aaron Donald. He had Jalen Ramsey. He was a creative defensive coordinator. They did a good job. Excuse me. They changed their scheme and in fact had Raheem Morris adjust his scheme and implement Brandon Scaly's continued scheme. Here's my issue with it though. I don't want a defensive coordinator who's only been a coordinator for one year. When you're talking about the 49ers defensive coordinator, you're expecting him to come up with these great defensive game plans against the best offenses in the biggest of games. How experienced is Brandon Staley at doing that? He had one year with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey in the middle of COVID. That doesn't say he's the best defensive coordinator. He had one good year coaching a defense. When you talk about Spags, people talk about Spags' best years. I remember Spags' worst years. I remember Steve Spagnola in 2012 on the Saints when everybody wanted him fired. I think that's part of being a defensive coordinator, going through those situations, going through those growing pains. I would like them to have an experienced guy, a guy who's had ups, had downs, needs has been in these situations. They need a guy to call a defense in big games. I think they lucked out with D'Amico. I think what I'm learning through this entire process of the last year and watching how things have played out in Houston is D'Amico might have just been a prodigy. How many guys go from QC to head coach in seven years? That was D'Amico Ryan's. He might have just been a prodigy. It might not be as easy to just find a guy to do this job. And I, I'm not that enthused about when I think about Brandon Staley bringing in a scheme, coming into a scheme he's not comfortable in and not being that experienced a defensive coordinator to begin with. Um, The Niners have the last two years, Vish, have gone. They, they, I love the way they play free agency. They let all their guys walk for the most part. They may see resign one or two, but they basically let all their guys walk. And then they say, you know what? We're going to get one difference maker free agent. Two years ago, it was Mooney Ward. This year, it was Hargrave. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Uh, Mooney's been very, very good. Um, Hargrave, eh, not so much. I think Hargrave's just kind of eh, nothing. I mean, nothing nothing terrible, but I don't sit there and go, oh, you know, when they Har got Hargrave. Hargrave didn't, he didn't live up to what we thought he would be when they no. paid him. No. no, I mean, we were talking about like, wait until you see Bosa yeah. and Hargrave on one line. This is going to be sick. And it wasn't sick. You know what? Um, you know what pissed me off, too? When we that? talked about Hargrave, we were talking about, OK, hey, the things that make Javon Hargrave special. He plays every snap. He's a warrior. He plays every game, every snap. He's the fittest guy in the room. The guy plays 90 percent of snaps at damn near 300 pounds. I didn't see any of that. And again, he might be hurt, but we were talking about a player that was disruptive on the inside. How much disruption did Javon Hargrave cause last year? We're talking about a player that won with quickness and explosion. How much did he do that? 
We're talking about a player that played a lot of snaps. I saw him tired more than I've ever seen him in my life. And I watched a lot of him after the 49ers signed him. This is one of the fittest football players coming into last year I've seen as a defensive lineman. He didn't live up to it. No, no, he did not. He did not. But let's just say, because I do like that formula. Why? Because it works on the compensatory formula. And then I think it also really works with your locker room chemistry. Because if you have, you you pay Hargrave, nobody's bitching. You pay Mooney, nobody's bitching. If you pay an ordinary guy who there's three or four guys that are better than, then all of a sudden people are like, well, why are you paying the outside guy more than us? You drafted me. And you're going to pay him more to come over here from Philly, or you're going to pay him more to come over here from Kansas City. So I love the philosophy of let everybody walk, take the comp picks, and sign one great free agent. Most of the time, it's going to be, it seems like for this team, it's going to be on defense. This year, maybe it's on offense because of the tackle need. Um, but if you could sign one premier free agent, and I don't know if you know the list. I mean, Chris Jones is out there. Um, I'm looking at the premier guys. The premier defensive free agents are Chris Jones. Who else? I'm looking at the list here. Kenny Moore, I think, is pretty damn good. The slot corner from Indy. Uh, Devin White. Uh, ooh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Legereus Sneed. Uh, those Winfield. Antoine Winfield, if he doesn't get uh, tagged, right. I think he probably I will think get he will tagged. Be tagged. Yeah, Bryce Huff is kind of interesting with the Jets, especially if they yeah. went after if they got um, Olbrick to come over. A uh, Christian Wilkins, did Christian Wilkins already sign or did he get tagged? Yeah, he got signed. He's actually I don't. He, I think remember. he's Brian Burns. I, is out I, there. I, I don't Darnell love Savage. Christian Wilkins fit in terms of paying him big, big money just because I think he's a very good player against the run and he's disruptive, but he's not that elite interior pass rusher. And I think that what's, that's what separates him from like a Quinn and Williams, that type of a player. Is there, um, is, I mean, Legereus Sneed, take him away from Kansas city. Um, I personally love Devin white because Devin white to me represents two things. He's an inside backer with speed, but he also is a delayed blitzer. Who's just a force as a pass rusher. You saw the way he rushed Mahomes when Tampa beat Kansas city in the super bowl. Um, I don't know that he's a fit because you already have DJ and you already have Greenlaw and Warner and, and uh, you know, some young guys behind, but is there one free agent, Big name. If you could get one, you know, we're going to let 20 guys walk. We already went through it. If they've got 22 free agents, we're letting 20 walk. We're bringing back Cleveland Farrell, Brandon Allen, and we're going to get one great free agent. Who's your one great free agent? Uh, Daniel Hunter. One one can be whoever I want. Like it can be any. I mean, it it doesn't have to be the most realistic free agent, right? Because I I think our grade wasn't realistic. Our okay, grade wasn't yeah, realistic it, last year. It's the defensive end from the Houston Texans, Jonathan Greenard. Oh, that's a great one. That, that is a, a great stud. one. He's 26 that's a great years call. old. He's had two very good seasons in the NFL. That would be a guy that I think would be a total game changer. I thought Will Anderson was great last year, and I still thought Greenard was their best pass rusher. That would be the guy. Like You're talking about a game-changing player, a young player, a guy that I don't know if he has the hype to get the crazy money, but he's a very, very good player. That would be my guy. There you go. Man, this is a shitty live stream because we keep agreeing. 
But I agree. I, I think that's a great name. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Greenard would be my guy, too. I love Greenard. Um, I'll tell Is you that the other who guy you were I, thinking of when you posed the question? Well, no. I mean, I was thinking. I noticed you didn't mention his name, so I was like, maybe he's not a free I didn't even agent. see Let him on the list. Okay. I don't even see him on the list down here, and I'm going I down think, the list. I, think, I was thinking I of LeJarrius Sneed. I was thinking of Sneed, to be honest. But I'll tell you, the other guy looking at this list that I love is I love Willie Gay from uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, you saw when Brock tried to get away are from Willie Gay. On, are you moving on from Dre Greenlaw in that case? Well, I don't know if I, – I mean, isn't Greenlaw got a torn Achilles? Is he ready to roll? Well, yeah, he does, but that's – that's. I mean, I feel like if you go get a Willie Gay, you're going to have to open up that cap space and basically say you're giving up on – Drake Greenlaw that he given that he I mean but. I'd probably go I mean if I could get anybody I'd go with Chris Jones I mean if it was literally you can have anybody I'll take Chris Jones because I think okay. Chris Jones is exactly what they need um what about what then, about the corner from the Chargers Michael Davis I'd, I'd rather get the Bears guy Jalen Johnson oh, Jalen Johnson he's gonna break the bank yeah, but I mean, yeah. you know, for one guy, we're only talking about one guy. Right, we are um, talking about just one guy. You're right. I mean, he would be a break the bank. I was thinking uh, of Michael Davis just as a guy who could start, but he's also 29 years old. Um, I just but think your guy, look, your guy Greenard is a great name. Why? Because he's in his super prime. He's 26. Um, I don't see him on the list, which makes me think that they maybe extended him. Is it possible they extended him? Um, maybe they franchised him. I'm not sure, uh, but he is, he is, let me just type in Houston. We'll see if it's, see if his name's on the list at all. Um, but you know, he's, he is, a he's, was a force in the playoffs yeah, and you're talking stud. about six, five and, um, yeah, he, no, he's, he's a free agent. Yeah. He's, yeah. he only made 1.1 million this year. He's 26 he years pick. old. Yeah, I love I Greenard. I loved him at Florida four years ago. Yeah, stud, stud coming Monster. out of the draft. Yeah. yeah, that would be that would be a great one. Like Greenard, that would be yeah. that would be a home run, right? Like that. I yeah, think no I doubt. think people are going to be blo- I think Greenard is going to get some money this offseason. What did he have? Thirteen sacks oh. last year. Oh, I mean, and he was just a monster in the playoffs. Yeah. And he and at two steps, he's full speed and he's angular and he's healthy. And yeah, I mean that's I, that guy's I like him special. over Brian Burns. I'll say that because I, I do think because he'll be cheaper than Brian Burns. I agree. Brian Burns is going to want like Bosa money, right? What about Joey? Would you be interested in Joey Bosa? No, because of the injuries. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, when you're talking about giving up assets for a guy who's already paid, the number one question can't be is he going to play for us. Yeah, no, I I love your greener pick. I may I may do a video on that later. I I, I think that's a great one because it, it it's it's a it's a guy that you could probably get for big money, but not you're Brian actually Burns building money. around him. He's twenty six, right? He's and a future piece, no doubt, no doubt. That's a that's that's a great name. Um, okay, there's one last topic that I want to talk about, but I can't figure it out. Which one is it? What was it that I wanted to talk about? Let me go back to my notes here. Um, is there? Okay, so if I if if you're if your your first choice for free agent would be Greenard, 
Your first choice for DC like is who? Dream. Yeah, Dream. Yeah, um, it's okay. First choice they're, for they're in that coordinator. First choice for defense coordinator. I don't really have a name for you, Krug, but I just hope they go through the process and find somebody that can do this job in a collaborative manner um, the way they want to. And I think because the other difficulty for the defensive coordinator, and I think this is what Steve Wilkes ran into, is, for example, Krug, let's say you're Ed Donatel and I'm Vic Fangio, right? right. If I hire you, who's your loyalty to? when we go from place to place. Cause if I get fired, what happens to you Ed Donatel? You get fired too, right? I'm hiring you as the defensive coordinator. Steve Wilkes comes into a job where who hired Daniel Bullocks? Shanahan. Right. Who hired Chris Kacerik? Shanahan. Sh- they, who, Shanahan. Who hired yeah. Johnny Holland? Shanahan. They're all loyal to Shanahan first. Right. It was a very position. tough yeah. position. Hey, can so I, I ask you? That's where I don't have a name for you, man. I just hope they find that guy that can thread this needle. And I, I think want we took, that's where we took D'Amico for granted. I think D'Amico was just exceptional. And I don't think we re- like I knew I think we knew he was good, but I didn't think we realized that they had a prodigy in D'Amico. Okay, so I have my last question, and I also have one extra one. When the day okay, so I said to Shanahan going into the playoffs. I said, Chase Young, I mean, I basically said Chase Young dogged it. And I said, that looked terrible. Is that your culture? And he didn't run from it. He said, it's not our culture. The next day, Wilkes comes in the room. I'm sitting all the way on the left-hand side. He literally is staring right at me for the first, like, 15 seconds of the presser. Do you think my question of Shanahan... Do you think that Wilkes would that be a question that upset Wilkes, or do you think that he liked the fact that somebody else did his dirty work for him? Like somebody else called out Chase Young. He didn't necessarily have to because Lynch did, Shanahan did, everybody did. Heck, Chase Young. I don't know if you saw uh, Vish. The did you see the live mic of the Super Bowl yet? No, I couldn't watch it. I know it's it's unbelievable, but one scene on the sideline is so incredible. It's Chase Young talking to George Kittle, and he's like, I will not let you down. And George Kittle's like, I need you today to bring everything you have on every snap. There's there's no meetings next week. There's no practice next week. There's nothing you have to do next week. Bring it all tonight. And he's like, and Chase Young looks at George Kittle and says, I won't let you down. And then Chase Young played with his hair on fire. Is this not what we talked about, though? I feel like the two weeks to the Super Bowl, you and I must have done four shows in that two weeks. And I feel like every show, all we were saying was, if I'm Steve Wilkes, I'm telling Chase Young, you can go win this game for the 49ers. Look at Juwan Taylor and Donovan Smith. You can dominate those guys. You can go change your life, make money based on this game alone. Is this not what we talked about? I did. Yeah, he did. did But do you think Wilkes... Do you think, I mean, the way Wilkes stared at me, it was like he was either happy that I called out his guy because he didn't have to, and now he knew his guy was going to fly and play like incredible ball, or he was really pissed that he, that I called out his guy because it, maybe it showed, it showed badly on him. I don't know, but he was happy. I think think he was was happy? happy and I'll tell you why, right? You were the first person to save him from bad optics, right? Here's what Steve Wilkes saved us from talking about this year. 
hey, this guy named Javon Hargrave that the San Francisco 49ers gave $40 million fully guaranteed to. Steve Wilkes didn't do anything to not get number 98 to play that well for him. That wasn't a scheme issue. That was a player issue. The supposed best linebacker on the 49ers did not have that kind of season, if we're being honest. He was a first-team All-Pro. He had big moments. He had big moments on primetime. But go back and watch the Bengals game. Go back and watch the Cardinals game. Go back and watch the Super Bowl. That was That's not a Steve Wilkes issue. Those no. were some of the issues on the 49ers that we didn't talk about. I think Steve Wilkes was thankful for it. I think there's a reason he came out and said what he said during the Super Bowl week. How many defensive coordinators do you know calling out effort? Effort week before the Super Bowl. But he Unheard did it of. to say he did it to say put the pressure on them. Take it off of me. These guys aren't playing hard enough. It's not my job. Yeah, make them hold them accountable. Tell them to play hard. I think that's what it turned out to be. I think he knew the writing on the wall. That's why he came out and said that. He saw mm. what happened. I mean, Krug, how oh, yeah. many defensive coordinators have ever apologized for a call in the first half of a football game four days after the game? I know. I know. It was amazing. It was incredibly compelling um, watching Lynch address it, Kyle address it, the players, Bosa, and then watching Chase Young tell George Kittle, I will not let you down. It was like, you know what? It was on Chase, and everybody knew it. All right, last one for you. Great stream, by the way. Um, looking at the Niner roster, give me, give me two young players that you think there's a lot more there and we just didn't get it this year. Like who, give me two guys that are young 49ers that you really think are going to be much, much, much better in 2024 than they were in 2023. Hmm. I, I got to go with one of those young linebackers, especially Jalen Graham, because he was the yeah. one that really impressed us in uh, preseason. He also yeah. ended up being the one inactive. I don't know if that was a special teams thing or if he was actually just fell behind in practice when we didn't get to see these guys. Well, but you know, it's funny. I, I asked Wilkes about it late in the year. I said, why? What does Graham need to do? And he's like, Graham was kind of a hybrid safety linebacker. So he was further behind Winters. Um, in, in terms Steve's of changing mind. his body? Well, no, because I think at Purdue, he played that kind of hybrid safety linebacker role, and so he had more development needed than Winters did. At least that was Wilkes' answer late in the year on Graham. Yeah. So, okay, that's interesting. Because it's funny because I, 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 the reason I asked about the bodies is because Graham's body looks more developed to me than Winters. Winters looks a right. tad small I agree. to me. Yeah. So and that, Winters that, had the we Winters had the lowest um um you know the on the on the lower body explosion drills he he tested you know very very low on like leg ex, you know explosion and uh, broad jump and all the all the lower body mm -hmm. explosive traits you know showed that he needed a full year in an NFL weight room to kind of get up to speed but mm -hmm. it was him that played more than Graham. Mm-hmm. 100%. And then the other one, I, I thought he would start a lot sooner this year. He kind of came along at the end of the year. I still think he's a very young player, and we'll see how his potential plays out. But he did seem to get better as he played, which was encouraging. It would be Jair Brown. It's hard, honestly, Krug, when you like take young players, especially because 
if we're talking about a young player extending, like I don't know if I necessarily look at Purdy, for example, like that, because he's already kind of established himself this year, right? Like he's the starting guy. Well, he's going to get better, but it's hard to look at him as a young, like new player that's on the come up. And then when you get away from the linebackers, I don't know that there's a young pass rusher that I necessarily love to answer this question. The young corners, I'm not a, I've not watched enough of Darrell Luther play football to feel confident about that. I don't think the 49ers and Sam Womack are in a place that would make you feel comfortable about his development. I'm not such a fan of Ronnie Bell that I would answer him for this question. There's definitely not a running back I look at, nor an offensive lineman. It puts you kind of in a tough spot, and it leaves you basically with Brown as the one young guy that looks like he can really be a starter that we haven't really seen establish himself as that yet. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jalen Graham, who I think is really special. And I'm going to go with Darrell Luter. I, I I think Luter is going to be a player next year. Um, he's just big and rangy and fast and and mature. And it's just for whatever reason. I mean, the only contribution this guy made was a turnover in the Super Bowl off of a bad bounce, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, and I agree with you on Jair Brown, Jair Brown's going to be special, but if I had to go to, I, you know, I think Jair Brown at least had a, had an interception in the Super Bowl. To me, he's kind of, kind of already kind of proven his medal, but Graham and Luter Jr. would be the two guys I say, you know, show up in camp next year and Graham's going to be a baller and Luter's going to be a baller. Uh, but I don't disagree on on uh, on Jair Brown. Um, all right, man, good stuff. We're awesome. let me just let me just read these three supers, and we'll jet. Uh, Daza says I don't understand why the D line is so subpar with the financial investment and Kocherik. Yeah, I mean that's a great point. Uh, I expected more out of the D line. Well, no, um, no. Let's be honest about something. They were all just names, right? Like I hyped up Chase Young. I think Chase Young has unbelievable talent. The reality of the reason why George Kittle was saying that, why you and I were talking about that before the Super Bowl, is because we look at Chase Young, we look at a guy of his talent and his caliber, and the production wasn't matching up to that. Yeah. The Super Bowl is what he is capable of doing week in and week out. He is that gifted. He's, in fact, probably even more gifted than what he showed in the Super Bowl. So he was not, he did not give them anything near what you expect when you look at that name and you put his talent, tangible talent next to that name. Randy Gregory, same thing. This is not yeah. Randy Gregory from Dallas from two years ago. This this was not Randy Gregory. So if you look down the list, you had a list of names that were names that we all gave equity to at one point, but their substance at this point was nothing. And that's what they had in their defensive line. They weren't that deep, and they had a lot of big names that were not necessarily performing to the talent of their names. No question. Gregory, Givens, Chase Young. Sebastian Hargrave. Joseph Day, Hargrave, Drake Jackson, uh, Kalia Davis, Robert B. Nobody. Everybody, every guy they leaned on. I mean, Farrell stepped up a little. Kinlaw did the best, uh, gave us the best season of his career. Everybody, Armstead was good until he got hurt. Bosa was good when the money was on the table late in the year. The depth evaporated, absolutely evaporated. Um, it was one of the most compelling, uh, stories of the year was the, you know, the, the way that defensive line just kind of fell apart down mm-hmm. the stretch. Daz is trying to add to it, but those band-aids were like, there was, so there was a reason, right? I, we found out why Chase Young was only given up for a third round compensatory pick. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it makes you wonder what he's going to get paid or not yeah, paid. Do you think the agency. Niners are even going to get a third-round compensatory pick for him? I don't think anybody's going to pay him big bucks at all. Uh, I really don't. Gregory either. And I like, I talked to Gregory a couple times and there were some people say, oh, Gregory's a bad guy. No, Gregory's not a bad guy. Gregory may have smoked some grass, but he's, he's not a bad guy. Um, but he also well, didn't play. that was an issue in Nebraska. Yeah, he didn't play huge either. But I mean, I got no problem with Gregory uh, other than the fact that he just didn't get tons done. Dazza says, if we run it back and get knocked out of the NFC Championship, do you see any significant changes? Jed seems happy just making the championship game. I think Jed is very happy with Lynch and with Shanahan and the direction of the franchise, and I think both those guys are semi-made men, uh, and I don't I, think they're going anywhere soon, anytime soon. I don't like. What is Jed going to do? That's my question. Realistically, what is Jed's vision of changes? Like, do we not remember what this team was seven years ago? That was Jed's doing. The credibility of the 49ers wasn't Jed York creating a new business plan and rebuilding it. It was Jed York hiring his John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, getting out of the way, and then reestablishing the 49ers as one of the great organizations in the league. So as much as we could sit here and, you know, fantasize about, okay, if they lose this again, and it's frustrating to lose in the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl for us as fans, I get it. It's hard to watch. It's not realistic to look at Jed York and look at him and think he's going to do something at that point. Because he's really, if you think about it, he is really kind of stuck, like with Kyle. He's, He's beholden to Kyle. Kyle did this. Kyle saved him. Kyle saved the 49ers. They're married. They're essentially married, and uh, they're not even seeing other people. Uh, they are married. Well, Kyle can. Jed can. Yeah. Yeah, Jed, Jed's dating. Jed's dating Kyle, who's like three times out of his league. Whereas <laughs> Kyle's like, okay, I'll settle for you, Jed. Cut the bill. Exactly. Cut the check. Cut the check. We'll, 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 and we'll bring Kawakami with us. Blood right. Moon they says Bry- French laundry together. <laughs> French laundry. French laundry. Uh, Blood Moon says Bryce Huff would be the one opposite Bosa. Yeah, I love Bryce Huff, man. I mean, he really played with his you, hair on you fire. You could have one, Bryce Huff or Greenard. Greenard. Me too. But yeah, I don't because isn't Bryce be Huff like salary scale? Isn't Bryce Huff like six one two fifty? Yeah, that, that Larry, that was an Greenard's unfair like question. Six, they're six. not gonna they're not gonna be paid in the same scale either. That was yeah. an unfair question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Greenard though is a great name, and I, I I and I would not be shocked if they went after one great name. And I love that name. I think that's that, that's a that's a terrific. You one. think he'll be too expensive? That's my one like doubt. I, and I think Houston's got to be desperate to bring him back. He's a young stud. Yeah, but they've got a bunch of other issues, and you know, I don't. You know, I they got a bunch of guys there too. Yeah. You know, they got a bunch of guys. It's going to be interesting. I I would say Greenard and and uh, you know Greenard isn't isn't Kacerik, Isn't he has spent some time at. Uh, um, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he knows Greenard at all, but Greenard in 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 uh, Chris's D and Chris's uh, scheme I mean, it's would the be same scheme, absolutely right? monster. It's the it's the same scheme, so it's translatable. Yeah, totally. And yeah. he's the perfect piece. Um, Vish, what do you got cooking the rest of the week? What do you uh, what do you got going? Are you are you streaming Dude, again anymore else. this week? It's us on Thursday on Jesse's channel. Yeah, that'll be really fun. And then besides that, no, I I actually I'm excited. Um, I have a little bit more time on my hands now, so I'm going to be taking that time to catch up on the draft. I'm going to start with the quarterbacks, 
can't wait to watch Caleb Williams and Drake May and all these guys. And then I'm going to work my way through position by position. Looking forward to see what happens with this free agency. I don't know. Something about you saying that, hey, Greenard might be a possibility is peak by interest um, even more. I, I really thought it was out of the realm of possibility, but you have got me feeling a little more optimistic. So, Well, it's 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 near the top of the scale for the insiders, but it's not necessarily like in all these rankings of the top free agents, you notice that Jonathan Greenard is not in the top. It's more of an insider deal. Like football people know that Greenard is an elite free agent, but, but just media football evaluators of free of the free agent market based on, I've read 27 articles about this. I don't think I've seen Greenard's name mentioned once. So he is a little bit of a, uh, insider knowledge kind of a free agent. That's and really I think interesting to me because I, th- I genuinely, I genuinely think that's interesting because I haven't kept up with these free agent tracking articles. Oh, there's tons I just of them. knew he was a free agent and I kind of just stuck with that because I think he's a good player. But if you look at Houston's turnaround, obviously there's an outsized amount of credit that goes to D'Amico and CJ Stroud, but Will Anderson got a lot of credit for being for their defensive kind of turnaround, like their defensive ascension. But he wasn't even the best pass rusher on their team last year. I feel like if you watched a Houston Texan game, you had to come away thinking, "Wow, Jonathan Greenard is some football player." Oh, he's an, he's he, and they have a bunch of free agents: Sheldon Rankins, Derek Barnett, mm-hmm. Jerry Hughes, Stephen Nelson, Tart, Jimmy Ward, uh, Ridgeway, Be- Perriman. This is what uh, happens see- when you sign everybody ever to a one-year deal. Yeah, Dalton I mean, Schultz. They got a bunch of free agents, so they're going to have to make some tough decisions. Um, all right, that does it for us. Thanks to me. Thank the sponsors, uh, Pig and a Pickle, the best uh, barbecue in all of Northern California. Check them out. They're in Emeryville and Corte Madera. They're open seven days a week. Of course, MarinAutoglass.com, MarinAutoglass, 415-883-3030. Underdog Fantasy is a phenomenal sponsor of ours. And this month alone, we had Sharp Corner Sports Cards and Collectibles in uh, Pacific Grove. Call Anthony Catania, 831-521-5264. And valleyhillroofing.net. They're at 209-481-6851. All the websites are linked in the description below. Hit like and subscribe. If you hit like, it helps the algorithm. Subscribe to my channel. Subscribe to Vicious channel. We're closing in on 40,000 over here. Vish, I think, is closing in on, what, 10 or 12 or 15 Closing over in there. on 10. Help your boy get to 10. But here's here's something I just learned from the chat for you, Krug, before we end. Yeah. I, I just learned something that we broke on this show a year ago. Robbie Gold taking the coveted high school job. I did tell you that I had a boss whose son was playing uh, football at a high school that was promised to have Robbie Gold coaching there. So look at us breaking news a year early. Look at Robbie Gold moving on, moving on with his uh, with his bad self. By the way, I heard somebody, Jesse, mentioned, Brian says, y'all content creators need to stop beefing. Y'all soft like baby shit. Uh, thank you. We appreciate that one. Um, but uh, there's a new channel out that critiques or that uh, basically discusses content creators. Have you that's, heard of that's hilarious? I, I, know, I, I did see I did see I haven't one of seen it, but that makes me laugh. Me comparing me to non-bread. I thought it was pretty funny. I I I don't know why he went with non-bread out of all things. Like, come on, Indian guy, non-bread. Like you could do something a little bit better than that. But I thought it was pretty funny. I think you know, I think it's all in good fun. I don't 
take this or myself serious enough where I don't think that the, I'm eligible to not be made fun of. And I, I think it's all in good jest and in good fun. Seriously, I don't mind I, it at all. I like no, it, in fact. No, I do too. I do too. And it's some, it, to me, it shows creativity. All right, 100%. for Vish, I'm Larry. That's have what a we cool- do, right? We, we yeah. poke fun at each other, so why not? Exactly. And we will continue to, and that's what makes the whole thing so much fun. Um, as far as my schedule, tomorrow morning is Wednesday, or tomorrow morning is, yeah, Wednesday morning uh, at 9 a.m. I'll be on with Guy Haberman tomorrow. Um, and then I'm doing an early stream with our, with Kev on the call-in stream. And then tomorrow night, Ned Coletti is going to stop by Dan coach Emilio right around seven 45 and we'll talk a little baseball. We'll do a little baseball live stream, a little giants. So a little baseball at seven 45 with Ned and Danny, a little call in at six 30 with Kev for an hour guy Haberman at nine. And then on Thursday morning at nine, eight, nine 30 in the morning, Nick Allegretti of the chiefs is going to join me for a live stream. I'm really excited to talk to Nick. He's an old friend. And uh, I didn't want to talk to him before the Super Bowl because I couldn't possibly say, hey, Nick, uh, I know it's everything to you and you're starting in the Super Bowl for the first time, but I'm rooting against you. Uh, but now that the Chiefs have won, we'll, we'll just talk about the Super Bowl and his career. And he's a free agent. Maybe the J- Niners will go sign Nick Allegretti to play guard for them. But Ask for Vish, on Kinlaw, how strong exactly. Is he? Well, and also I'm going to ask him about he suffered in the second quarter of the Super Bowl, the same injury that Brock Purdy suffered with the elbow. And Uh just because he's an offensive lineman, he just gutted it out for the rest of the Super Bowl with the torn UCL. Wow. And I mean, dude, (laughs) I mean, seriously, some of these guys. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. I mean, that is crazy. So we'll, we'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to him about free agency. We'll talk to him about Mahomes and the Chiefs and Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and Kelsey pushing uh, Andy Reid and the, the Chiefs going back to back and just all of that. We'll, My we'll one problem with- during the Super Bowl was that they didn't show uh, Taylor during that moment. When when he pushed uh, Reid? Yeah, because I actually don't mind them showing Taylor. Like, it's just a normal thing anytime you show, like, a celebrity. But the one thing I liked about them showing Giselle is they showed Giselle when Brady would like miss the throw to Welker too and show like how she was reacting. So like if you were <laughs> hating on Brady and I have had my life moments in life because Brady has been so successful where I've had years where I completely respect his greatness and years where I just hate on him. When you're hating on him, them showing Giselle is just like a ha-ha. It's like an extra ha-ha you can get off. And I hated how they were only showing Taylor during positive moments. Like I needed the full Taylor experience. And when he was shoving Andy Reed, we got, we had to have seen Taylor. Come on. She was biting her nails one time on the Niners last drive when they were right at the two minute warning or whatever. But uh, other than that, it was nothing. But but before that, before that, they only showed her like the first time they showed her was the BS big play. Was it to Marquez Valdez Scantling where Tashawn Gibson had a pick far hash and he just doesn't track the ball. That was the first time they showed her in the first half. And then the second time was after they got like some first down after a while of going three and out. They were picking and choosing when to show her. It was messed up. Well, I wonder how much of that was due to the betting on it. Because, you know, everything was everything. So, you know, you could bet on everything. So, I mean, it's like maybe that had some the impact. The fact that the Niners stayed favored throughout to me still feels a little. A little, a little like manipulative. Dude, only because, like, we talked about the game, and we talked about how the Niners deserved to be the favorite to start. But as we kept talking through that 
game, and I don't want to re- keep rehashing it. I'm still a little bitter about it. But as we kept talking through it, did anybody pick the Niners besides like us? Because we were like manifesting something to happen. Every no. single person I would see everywhere nationally, everything was Chiefs, 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 Chiefs. And the betting line never changed or moved. And I know it's not the same thing. The public line and the betting line aren't the same thing. But I also knew so many people that took that Chiefs uh, non-favorite. And again, this is all anecdotal experience, uh, or uh, this is all anecdotal. This doesn't necessarily, you know, line up with what the betting market said. But I still found it very interesting because I just kept hearing Chiefs were going to win. Chiefs were going to win. It was the uh, most favored underdog I've ever seen in my life. I agree. I watched the NFL.com pregame on they had online, and they have they had uh, twelve different prognosticators: MJD, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, Cynthia Freeland, all those people over at NFL.com. Of their twelve, I think ten picked the Chiefs. And only two picked the Niners. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's. I'm still. I'm. It still rankles me. Not the. Not the picking, but just the way that that thing. Uh, how close they got. And I wanted Shanahan on. You know, to go for it on third and four to run the ball and then run it again on yeah. fourth down and then just not let Mahomes have the ball at the end. Um, and to me, that was the mistake right there in the, in regulation in the fourth quarter, don't pass it, run it twice, get the first down, kick the field goal and give him 22 seconds instead, you know, obviously we know how it ended. Uh, Dazza says, didn't Jed also say hanging NFC championship banners wasn't good enough. He did, but he also said, and then he fired three coaches in three years and then yeah. Kyle Shanahan saved him. And then he also said that if they had lost to the Lions, that would have been good enough for him. So who knows? But for Vish, I'm Larry. Yeah, have but, a great- isn't that where the Eddie D comparison is like so out of pocket? Like Eddie D drove Bill Walsh out of football in like after three Super Bowls and just like being the greatest coach ever. And Jed's like just happy to be here. Well, I think, you know, they're different financial situations. The 49ers right now, you know, um, are an incredibly positive financial cash flow team um so when you're making as much money as they are you've got leads you've got all this gambling money coming into the sport you have the 49ers most likely the number one team as far as international but mexico city they go down there 90 percent of the crowds niner fans you go to london uh it's one of the biggest cities in the world it, the number one team in London is clearly the 49ers. I think that, you know, where the Niners are as a business um, makes it so he can be very, very patient with yeah, Shanahan okay. and Lynch okay. and, and getting this done. Okay, I get for, you. For Vish, I'm Larry. Have a great night, everybody. See you tomorrow morning with uh, Guy Haberman at 9 on his channel. Peace. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you won't get exactly what you asked for.